Good morning. Um, my name is Brian Katulis. I'm a senior fellow here at the Center for American Progress. I want to thank you all for coming to our discussion on prospects for a two-state solution, a very timely topic. And I want to thank, first of all, our co-sponsors for this event, American, uh, Americans for Peace Now and the American Task Force on Palestine. I, I believe there's some information about these organizations at the back, and you can also uh, check out uh, these organizations uh, online on their websites. Before we start our discussion this morning, I want to do a little plug for the center, and in particular for our work on the Middle East and our Middle East Progress uh, Initiative. Uh, for the last two years, we've uh, focused pretty strongly on the Middle East uh, in our Middle East Progress Project, with a strong emphasis on the need for a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but looking at that conflict in the broader context of the Middle East. I think the center is known for many different things, uh, including uh, some of our work on Iraq uh, over the last couple of years, and obviously our work on domestic and economic policy. But our team, uh, uh, our Middle East Progress team, I think, has done a phenomenal job over the past two years. Uh, I want to recognize them, Moran Benai, Ian Bomberg, and uh, we have a staff member who lives in Israel, Shira Efron, who have formed the core of our efforts. And um, if you haven't already, sign up for our Middle East Bulletin. It comes out twice a week. It's an excellent publication. You can sign up for it at MiddleEastProgress.org. Uh, we've lost in the last couple of uh, weeks uh, uh, three uh, staff members who worked uh, closely on Middle East Progress uh, to, to the White House, where they're, they're working with the, the Obama administration. Um, but in, in addition to the personnel, we hope that some of our ideas uh, shape uh, what, what the new administration tries to do on the Middle East. Um, with that in mind, and uh, I'd like to, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to introduce uh, our two speakers this morning uh, to, to kick off our discussion. What we're going to do um, uh, this morning is have a bit of a discussion and then open it up to questions about the two-state solution. Our first speaker is uh, Elan Paz. Uh, Elan, uh, before he retired after 28 years in, uh, of service uh, in the Israeli military, uh, retired at the rank of Brigadier General, served in many senior positions and special units in the IDF, including uh, the Naval Command, the Anti-Terror Command, and he was the head of civil administration in the West Bank. I want to highlight one part of his biography in particular. From 2002 to 2005, he was the head of civil administration in the West Bank and uh, the Jordan Valley at a time um, when at certain moments during that period, uh, the civil administration was the only point of contact with the, uh, with the Palestinian Authority uh, during the Second Intifada. Uh, he's a very thoughtful analyst. Uh, he works for a number of uh, organizations as a strategic consultant, uh, including the Economic Cooperation Foundation, um, and he has a lot of thoughtful things to say about the current situation there. Our second speaker to my right, to your left, is Rethel Almery, who is currently advocacy director at the American Task Force on Palestine. Raith uh, has served uh, prior to his current position in, in several senior positions as an advisor to the Palestinian Authority. He was the director of the International Relations Department and the uh, um, president of the Palestinian Authority's office and served as a senior advisor to Mahmoud Abbas. Um, from 1999 to 2001, he was uh, a senior advisor to the negotiations team on the permanent status talks. So we've got a, a wealth of experience and talent up here, and we're really honored here at the center uh, with our co-hosts uh, co uh, to, to, to sponsor this discussion, and I hope this will be first of many discussions on, on what are uh, some of the most complicated uh, foreign policy issues. I want to start out our discussion first by turning to uh, uh, General Paz um, and getting his perspective generally 
on the current situation. Uh, we have a new administration here in Washington. We have an Israeli government that is still in formation. Um, we've got divisions uh, among the Palestinians that seem to be enduring uh, despite attempts to, to bridge these divides. How do you see the current situation here, sitting uh, March 20th, um, in terms of the prospects for a two-state solution? What's your, what's your view? Thank you. Um, I would like to, uh, uh, to say that these days we, we have to analyze the situation. And if I analyze the situation, I think that we have to search for several ladders in, uh, to support the, uh, uh, the Israeli side and the Palestinian side in order to climb it down from the trees we are uh, on them uh, during uh, uh, th these days. In the Israeli side, I, I don't know whether uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, will create a right coalition or a united uh, coalition. It seems to be that uh, he will succeed to create, after all, only right-wing coalition. And, and the situation will be very complicated uh, concerning uh, the continuing of peace uh, process with the Palestinian side. We have to, to understand that I, I believe for the first time over more than 20 years uh, the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, uh, will be very right parliament. I believe then that uh, more than half of the Knesset members, the new Knesset members, are not uh, supporters of two-state solution. Uh, it wasn't before. Uh, even when the uh, when we had a right coalition in the past, the majority of uh, Knesset members were for two-state solution, and nowadays I'm not sure. In the government. Uh, if uh, he will create a right uh, coalition and right government, he will be the he uh, Benjamin Netanyahu will be the extremist to the left. I believe no Knesset member of this uh, coalition will be in his left side. So uh, and let's uh, remember that uh, during the years. He was the head of the opposition. He climbed a very high trees concerning uh, uh, almost every subject, including, of course, the Palestinian issue, but not uh, just the Palestinian issue, the Syrian issue, the Iranian issue, Hamas, and others. And I believe if, uh, th that uh, he's uh, two weeks or, or a week before his uh, starting his uh, position as a prime minister, he can understand now that uh, uh, when the responsibility will be on him, he will, uh, he will have to find ways to climb down from the, these trees. And I believe that uh, the only, not the only, but the main uh, 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 the main power or, or his help can come from uh, the United States. 
I believe that uh, if uh, someone uh, will uh, ask him in a closed room for eyes uh, uh, what is uh, his expectation from uh, the United States, he will say, give me guidelines. Mm -hmm. Give me your, your guidelines because it will be much easier for me, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, to deal with my uh, right uh, partners in the coalition with the United States and not alone. I can tell them, listen, we have to climb down from the tree because we can't argue with the United States, especially not with the new administration in the United States. We can't stop the peace process. We can't go to other solution rather than uh, two-state solution. We can't uh, uh, demolish Hamas uh, uh, government in Gaza or other issues. It will be much easier for him. He can't do it alone. It will be very difficult. We, we have to remember that his uh, powerful uh, uh, minister in his coalition will be Lieberman. It's not, uh, he, he won't have an uh, easy life. He have, he have to have uh, partners and uh, his best partner is United States. Mm. Concerning the Palestinian side, I prefer at the beginning of this uh, discussion to talk about Hamas. My partner is Abu Mazen, of course, but our obstacle is Hamas. And we have to understand several issues concerning Hamas before we, we, we can decide what option shall we, uh, we, we have to, to decide. We have for, uh, uh, at the beginning to understand that in our neighborhood, there isn't any good option. All our options are bad. But we have to decide between bad options, the, 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 best, the best one out of them. So we have uh, Hamas. Uh, his, uh, 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 the, the Palestinian society support Hamas. Not all of them, of course, but uh, uh, his, his uh, uh, support is, uh, uh, is very uh, strong. Israel decided not to demolish Hamas government in Gaza Strip even during last, the last uh, operation. Uh, 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 and I think it was a wise decision because the alternative were much worse. What were the, uh, the Israeli alternative? One alternative is to, to replace him, to, to renew the, uh, the occupation of uh, Gaza Strip. And I believe it's not an option for Israel. Or let's say it's a bad option. Whether uh, Abu Mazen can uh, uh, replace him nowadays after a military uh, operation uh, of Israel, I believe it's not an option. Egypt, 
it's not an option. So the only option, uh, if uh, Hamas uh, uh, will be demolished in Gaza, is a vacuum. And the vacuum is even worse than Hamas. So Hamas uh, is there, and he's strong. He's, strong, he's very strong there. He's uh, strong in, in, uh, in the West Bank. And I believe the only way to deal with Hamas nowadays is to give Abu Mazen the opportunity to deal with them, with uh, the Hamas, to reach an agreement of, uh, 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 of a united government I'm not sure it will help. I'm not sure it will help. I'm not sure it will reduce its power in the future. But I'm sure that if it won't happen, and Hamas will stay isolated, uh, uh, controlling Gaza, and Israel uh, will uh, continue to hit him with uh, our, uh, uh, our army, uh, we will continue the closure over Gaza. In this option, I'm sure that he will increase his power. Concerning the quartet uh, uh, demands, well, we have to, to, to remember that these quartet demands were created in another atmosphere. Two years ago, Hamas was the only player that refused to negotiate, that refused to, uh, uh, to uh, accept the two-state solution. And these demands maybe were a right decision these days, two, 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 two years ago. Nowadays, the atmosphere is another atmosphere. I'm not sure even that the Israeli prime minister accept the two-state solution. So we have to re-examine these demands in order to support, even to the other side, to the Hamas this time, a ladder to climb down from its tree. I believe that if Abu Mazen will reach an agreement with Hamas, with an understanding between them that, one, Abu Mazen will continue the peace negotiation with Israel on the basis of two-state solution, and two, uh, Hamas will accept all the previous uh, agreement with Israel, I believe that between the lines, it's the same. And it will give Hamas uh, uh, the option to climb down from the tree to enter to the uh, Palestinian government and uh, uh, maybe when he will get his responsibility over his people and he will be a, a, a partner of Israel, not directly but through this united government, I believe there is a, a small chance, but there is a chance, that uh, uh, we will uh, have the opportunity to face another future. Great. Thanks, Alan, for those very thorough comments and analysis. Um, I want to turn to Raith uh, and 
uh, ask you essentially the same question that we started with with Elon. What do you see today as the prospects for a two-state solution? And in your comments, if you can react, because uh, it's a perfect uh, segue and transition uh, to where I think you're going to focus your remarks on the Palestinian side. What are the prospects also not only of a two-state solution, but of Palestinian unity? Yeah, you asked me also to do this in five to seven minutes. So uh, I'll obviously be very telegraphic, and hopefully the discussion will uh, touch on these issues. Um, in case you haven't received the memo, the national unity talks have failed. Um, the official spin that we're getting from uh, Cairo is they have been postponed, but I think this spin is more for the benefit of the upcoming Arab summit. Cairo doesn't, Egypt doesn't want to go to the Arab summit, and the rest of the Arab world doesn't want to go to the summit with this issue as a deep divisive issue. They want to brush it under the table, but I think it's, uh, the national unity talks on the short term are over. And that's for a number of reasons. I would argue that even those most recent uh, unity talks did not happen because of desire from either Hamas or the PA. They happened under pressure from the uh, regional uh, players for their own purposes, and as such, they were not uh, going to lead to any results. The differences between Hamas and the PA are deep. They're on the issues of the peace process. They are on issues of uh, ideology, what kind of country we want. They're on issues of security. And most importantly, I believe, they're on issues of uh, politics, of power politics. Each of the players wants uh, sees themselves as the um, <coughs> ultimate undisputed leader of the Palestinian national movement. They're not willing to uh, share power. There is no political uh, logic right now towards unity. Hamas feels strong and uh, deeply ensconced in Gaza. They have lost popularity, but uh, in that region, popularity is not the determining factor. Hamas has strict security control over Gaza. They have demolished all of their uh, um, opposition in a very systematic, brutal, but very effective way. Um, Hamas has no, ch on the other hand, the PA is in the short term, medium term, uh, quite stable in the West Bank. Hamas does not represent a security threat to them, uh, whether because of the PA's security capacity or because of Israel or because of Jordanian influences. So there is no real push. There's no real domestic need for uh, an agreement. And I would argue that an agreement that is uh, an artificial national unity agreement might be harmful. And any national unity agreement has to uh, deal with two major issues and one derivative issue. The first issue is the issue of the quartet conditions or how it relates to the peace process. I believe that any Palestinian uh, arrangement that uh, detracts from pre previous Palestinian commitment to the peace process is uh, a setback. Will, I mean, a national unity uh, government that in the end emerges as a non-partner in a peace process will not help us uh, anywhere. Equally, a national unity arrangement has to uh, continue dealing with some of the essential reforms that we need in the Palestinian Authority, particularly in the realm of security. A national unity arrangement that allows militias to continue can never be stable. We've seen that in Palestine, we've seen that in uh, <coughs> Lebanon and other places. So we have to have these issues uh, dealt with. Obviously, I don't think either Hamas or Fatah are at that place. So where does this leave us? This leaves us, by and large, where we were a few months ago. We're back to the status quo ante. The status quo ante, however, as we saw, is not sustainable, be it in the West Bank, be it in Gaza. There have to be changes. The changes have to come from all of the players. And I would start with Israel. One thing for sure, 
Netanyahu and the Israeli government has to declare commitment to this two-state solution. What does it mean? Why do we need it? People were asking, people asked, you know, Olmert declared uh, commitment to the state solution, nothing happened. Why do we need it from Netanyahu? Well, for one reason. This is policy. And if he doesn't, uh, if his government doesn't uh, commit to it, then this is a reversal of policy. And this is in itself terribly destabilizing. We need from Israel to be more serious about enabling uh, progress in some of the issues that I will talk about in the West Bank. And to be wiser in Gaza. And this obviously requires a very strong, proactive U.S. role. In the U.S., the new administration so far has been doing all the right things. The language has been uh, coming from the administration has been shockingly great. I could not have uh, expected more. The commitment, the energy that's being put into the process is also very positive. The problem so far, obviously, it's too early to tell what it really means. We've talked the talk. We don't know uh, what's going to happen. One thing that worries me is that I see a very top-heavy administration with a lot of big names uh, on the top. And unless we have very good, strong management from the very top, that is the president and the, or a secretary that is empowered by the president, this might lead to paralysis. Um, and I believe, I'm afraid that we will only know the real dynamic here once we have a crisis, and until then we can only guess. We do not know really where the power lies. The Palestinians, what needs to happen on the Palestinian uh, <coughs> front? In the West Bank, obviously there will be a new government. And the new government, I mean, the government that Salam Fayyad had for the last uh, year and a half or a couple of years was really in a very tough position. And this cannot be repeated. We need to have a new government that enjoys a number of things. First of all, you need a prime minister who is committed to the reforms, particularly in the security sector. The reforms, the work that was done between the PA and uh, Keith Dayton, has not only created a more effective security sector, it's also creating a more transparent security sector that is not based on fiefdoms, and a non-partisan security sector. A political one, but a non-partisan one. I think this has to be extended to the, uh, not only to the operational side, but to the intelligence side. We need for Fatah to stop uh, opposing the reforms that has been going, have been going on. And uh, <coughs> we need, obviously, more action in terms of security, not only in terms of domestic law and order, but also in terms of counterterrorism, because that is essential for any development in the Palestinian security track. We need for the West Bank to move forward. We need progress in two steps, and this has to be external. The Palestinians have to feel that there is a change in their daily lives through an improved economy, and this can only happen through movement on the issue of checkpoints. This is related to Palestinian security performance, but not only so. There are many checkpoints which have no security uh, rationale, and this is, I think, what Jim Jones saw when he was there. But more importantly, we need a, a political progress. At the end of the day, if Abbas can only show to, ex to improve the economy, He'll be open to the accusation that, well, you sold out the national aspirations for some money. He needs to show some political uh, progress, and that's through a settlement freeze. We need it. That is essential. That has to be the central point. In the Gaza Strip, we need to move away from a dynamic that led us to the Gaza war. I believe that uh, Hamas has to continue to be isolated. It cannot be uh, rewarded for provoking a war, for playing with people's lives with uh, diplomatic recognition. It has to continue being uh, isolated. However, the people of Gaza should not suffer from that. We have to have an opening of the uh, crossing points, and I think that's doable. There are many ideas out there. 
um, the issue of reconstruction and recovery and dealing with the aftermath of the war. First of all, the humanitarian relief should not be politicized, should not be effective. People now are talking in this town about UNRWA, is it close to Hamas, is it close to Hamas? Frankly, I don't care. It doesn't matter. If Hamas gains a little bit politically from humanitarian efforts, so what? People have to eat, people have to have medicine. This cannot be politicized. Equally, I would say early recovery efforts should also shy away from politicization. Reconstruction is more difficult. We have to have a reconstruction process that does not benefit Hamas, at least financially. Hamas cannot uh, tap into the uh, money pot that's coming into reconstruction. The only way to do that is to create an international mechanism that ensures as, <coughs> excuse me, as the reconstruction happens, there's a degree of control of where the money goes, who controls the construction materials market and things of this sort. It has to include the PA as part of the international mechanism uh, to ensure that uh, the PA is represented uh, in Gaza. I think the ideas that Salam Fayyad presented in terms of direct payment to uh, beneficiaries in the private sector are useful and can be played with. Ultimately, um, finally, one word about the Arab world. The Arab world should, actually st should also step up to its obligations on two levels. First of all, it should stop playing uh, around with domestic Palestinian politics. What Qatar is doing in terms of empowering Hamas here and uh, playing the Iranian uh, game there is very dangerous, and it has to be, it has to be, there has to be cost to that. But on the other side, some, what some of the other Arab countries are doing, withholding money, not supporting the uh, economic development, also has to be uh, dealt with directly. And finally, the Arabs have to step up to their political uh, role. There's an Arab peace initiative out there. This has to be operationalized. If we want to create a political, if you wish, a margin to in include additional political currency into the process, the Arabs have to operationalize and to say that they're willing to respond to partial Israeli measures by partial Arab measures in terms of uh, reconstruction. And again, the US can play a leading role in formulating and pre-cooking this kind of thing. If I think if we have that, we might have a dynamic that will not allow us to reach a peace deal this year, but definitely would create a more conducive uh, environment for reaching a peace deal in the medium term. Thank you. Great. Bravo, Raith. Uh, I don't know if you did it in seven minutes, but you packed a lot of ideas in oh, there. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And um, what I thought it, it would be good to do is to go back to you, Alan, and get your, uh, your uh, recommendations on what are the most important things this new U.S. administration should focus on. You talked about the need for the Netanyahu, the emerging Netanyahu government, to climb down from some trees. And uh, Raith talked about uh, the Obama administration talking the talk. I don't know if you agree with uh, his assessment that they're saying the right sorts of things. And we have to see whether they walk the walk. What do you see as the most important things uh, uh, on the uh, Israeli-Palestinian track that the, the new Obama administration can do uh, in, in the coming months uh, to, to achieve some sort of progress. And more specifically, if you could comment uh, about uh, the, the security sector and the Palestinian side along the way as you, as you give us your thoughts, something Raith mentioned, because it's something that the previous administration here in the U.S. had focused on. Um, only on the Palestinian side? Yes. Uh, arena? On both sides. No, only on the <coughs> Palestinian arena or other as well? On the Palestinian arena, okay. yeah. So uh, uh, I, I believe I can say three or four issues. Uh, the first issue is the, to continue the peace negotiation with the Palestinian side on the basis of a uh, two-state solution. I, I said it uh, uh, before. Uh, we don't have other alternative. I believe that 
if the windows of opportunity to to reach an agreement on the basis of two-state solution will be closed, the next decision Israel have to decide uh, will be whether rather we are a, a, a state of all its residents or an apartheid state. And I don't want to live in a state of all its residents and I don't want to live in an apartheid state. So my only option is uh, uh, the two-state solution, I, and I believe that uh, uh, it have to be the first and the main uh, guideline uh, of the policy of the United States. Uh, uh, the second uh, guideline is uh, to, to announce uh, the demand uh, over Israel to to uh, to re uh, re uh, uh, declare uh, its commitments uh, to freeze the settlements in the West Bank in in East Jerusalem as well and to evacuate the outpost as Israel decided before uh, the previous uh, uh, governments decided, one, not to create uh, new settlements, two, uh, uh, to freeze the, the constructions of uh, the existing settlements and to evacuate the outpost. It, it's a, a, an Israeli governmental decisions and uh, obligations by uh, writing, by uh, papers, uh, to, to the United States and to the Israeli Supreme Court. It's not uh, a personal aspiration of politic, uh, uh, one poli politician here and there. It's an obligation of the Israeli government in the past. And Israel should uh, 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 continue this uh, obligation and for the first time maybe to fulfill them because uh, uh, we haven't uh, yet. The third uh, uh, guideline concerning the creation of the Palestinian uh, uh, establishment, the, uh, uh, the security and other, the, the civilian, and the economic and, and other. It means to continue the uh, General Dayton mission it is a very, very important mission, and the results are very good and very. Uh, it, it, it changes the whole situation in the pilot area where it exists nowadays in the North West Bank, at the area of Jenin, and in the South West Bank, in the area of Hebron. The results are very good, and. This uh, mission have to continue. I heard uh, several voices here in Washington that uh, says that if a united government with Hamas will, will be created in the Palestinian side, this mission will be ended and its budget will be reduced. I think uh, it's a very dangerous, uh, 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 it will be a very dangerous decision and uh, we will uh, uh, go back several steps if uh, it will be implemented in the future.
uh, uh, other uh, steps or uh, issues that Israel have to help the Palestinians to create. One is to uh, increase the level of the Palestinian economy. And uh, uh, the other is to, uh, uh, to change the daily life of the Palestinians, as my friend said. I, uh, I am saying, and I even uh, say, uh, said it uh, in the past, a year ago here in this room, that Israel have to, to, to cancel uh, and to change the access and movement in the West Bank and to remove the, uh, most of the roadblocks and checkpoints uh, there are exist that are existing in the West Bank. Uh, the security situation nowadays is not the same security situation that was several years ago. At the beginning of the Intifada, I was uh, uh, the commander of uh, the Territorial Brigade in Ramallah. I personally established several of the, the main uh, uh, checkpoints and roadblocks in the, uh, in the West Bank. Bank. I'm not sorry for it. It was another uh, security situation that I, fa I faced uh, that days. Now we are in another phase, and we have to change the, uh, uh, the existence of uh, these uh, roadblocks and checkpoints. And I'm, I'm talking about internal uh, uh, obstacle. I'm not talking about the uh, checkpoints on, on the, the fence on the green line close to the green line. This is the main issue. Great. Thank you. Lareth, you said um, Hamas should not be rewarded for what it's done and the suffering that it's caused. How do you square that with, and, and you talked a little bit about this, but getting assistance into Gaza, and then also, what's your view on Alan's uh, position here, that if, if, I know you're skeptical that a unity government is possible, a real unity government. But if one were possible, what do you think should be done about the, the security forces, which is something you know, that the US has actually invested a lot of time and effort in? Um, just a couple of uh, follow-ups on what uh, Ilan said, if I may. Um, peace process has to continue, absolutely. I don't believe a peace deal is doable in, this, uh, in the short term. However, peace negotiations have to continue. They create the uh, context for everything else. Abbas, Fayyad have to show that what they're doing is uh, for the ultimate uh, cause of reaching peace and creating a Palestinian state. On the issue of settlements, just also two more uh, remarks. What I've been pleasantly surprised with recently is the consensus in this town, in Washington, about the need for creating a settlement freeze. You see it in Congress from the most unlikely uh, sources. You see it in the think tank community. This is policy here. And this is important vis-a-vis -vis Israel. Uh, <coughs> Bibi tried in the past to butt heads with an American president, with President Clinton. He lost his job. And I think he remembers that experience. And the more that we show this as an American interest, the more important it is. But it should not be a bilateral Palestinian-Israeli process. I think the US should lead this one. On the question, let's start with the easy one, what to do with the uh, security forces under a unity arrangement. I would argue that uh, a, a Palestinian government that commits to uh, continuing the reform efforts of creating a national uh, the security sector that's functioning have to be supported. However, if you have a Palestinian government that's not willing to do that, I don't believe in continuing to pump security money into uh, a Palestinian security sector that's fragmented, that is corrupt, that is like a fiefdom. I don't want a repeat of the 90s. 
where this commander and that commander get money and create their own little uh, <coughs> power bases. And this is true whether we have a national unity government or, which, uh, which is, I think, unlikely in the short term, but more likely, we are going to have a new Palestinian government. And it's not necessarily going to be Fayyad. And if we have one of the failed, corrupt Fatah politicians becoming prime, uh, prime minister, I don't want to see them also accessing this kind of uh, money. So this has to be clear to any Palestinian government. You have to commit to security reform if you want to get U.S. assistance. And by the way, the U.S. assistance is not only money. It's also political prestige and political capital that comes with it. Gaza, what do you do? Uh, how do you square the circle? Um, there are many ways, and none of them uh, is perfect. And in most of them, Hamas will end up gaining some political credit. But I think that's the cost-benefit analysis uh, for in the right side. One way, I mean, one way to focus on Rafah, to open Rafah, and to really focus on the security and other considerations happening on the uh, Egyptian side. This requires Egyptian cooperation, and to be honest, Egyptian um, concessions. I mean, you know, that's, that's a political concession from Egypt and they have to be uh, rewarded for. Another option would be to have the PA in charge of uh, <coughs> the uh, crossings. And this will be a bit of a construct that Hamas will ask for a political uh, payback if it were to accept that, but that is uh, also uh, possible. But it's essential to do that, whether on Rafah or on the other crossings. It's essential to do it on Rafah because that's the only way that you can stop the thriving tunnel uh, industry. If you have movement of goods through uh, Rafah, then really the only things that will move through the tunnels are the weapons, and therefore you, it will be easier to deal with the uh, weapons. So I think there is no easy way of doing it. Hamas will have to be one way or another part of this. You have to have to get their buy-in. But there have to be credible proposals. The problems with the proposals so far that have been presented, they've been so incredible and they've been so clearly uh, aimed towards weakening or embarrassing Hamas that they've, they have not been taken seriously. So there have to be credible proposals. Hamas has to have buy-in, and I think here Egypt becomes very important because Egypt has a direct uh, contact with Hamas. And Hamas has political assets when it comes to Egypt. And if Egypt uses, mobilizes its political assets, Hamas might be willing to be to play ball in this one. Great. Thanks. Before we broaden it out, I actually want to pick up on something Breit just said about the 1990s. And you were the West Bank territorial commander, and you dealt closely with the Palestinian Authority and the security forces at that time. And I think there's a general... Uh, uh, consensus, I don't know how broad it is, in, in Washington about the need for this security sector support. How do you avoid the sorts of things that Raith was talking about? When you, when you reflect on that time in the 1990s and you think about constructive recommendations you might, app, you might offer to General Dayton or others dealing with uh, this issue, how do you avoid the fiefdoms and the corruption and what, what are some lessons learned from that period? Uh, I would like to say that uh, these issues of corruption in, uh, uh, in the security divided co uh, 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 organization in the Palestinian side. And you know what? Concerning the leadership as well, and maybe even the United Government, I'm not sure it's Israel uh, business. I don't want to decide what will be the other side. I don't want to decide who will be its leaders. I don't want to, uh, to decide 
what about the other side corruption you know Israel uh, all over the last decades we were expert in uh, deciding who will be the other side leader in Lebanon in the Palestinian territories we, we are really expert but we we failed in all our efforts I don't remember even one, even once, uh, uh, that uh, it was a, a good uh, effort with a good results. So it's their problem. If they are really a nation, and I believe they are a nation, mm -hmm. let the, uh, give them the opportunity to solve it. It's not my uh, my problem. Great. One. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Look, I mean, I agree, and I think to Nathan's credit, I, and I worked with him when I was uh, an official back in Palestine, he was very aware of this, and he never played favorites. I'm not saying that the uh, U.S. or Israel should decide who the leaders are. I'm talking about creating systems of transparency, creating uh, systems of uh, government, governance and uh, unity. I think, look, the loss of Gaza, the reason why my friends and people that I used to work with lost Gaza, because Hamas had more guns and had more uh, men than we are, because Hamas had clear command and control structure in place, while uh, our guys had more fragmented uh, system and uh, more corrupt system. It's a Palestinian interest, first and foremost, and I think I believe in what Abbas is doing here. But when the U.S. and others are putting money into this uh, sector, then they have every right to demand that their money is being put in a transparent, clear way, and if the Palestinians want to create a fragmented, corrupt system, let them create it without American money. Great. That's a good point. One last question before we open it up. Um, more broadly, uh, about the Middle East and the various tracks, uh, potential tracks for, for the Middle East peace process, how do you see, for instance, the Israeli-Syrian track? Uh, Secretary Clinton sent two envoys to Damascus uh, during her most recent trip. and looking back on how there were multiple tracks in the 1990s um, in, the, in the peace process, when you look at the broader context, uh, beyond just the prospects for a two-state solution, uh, how do you see those efforts? Uh, Israel, Syria, uh, perhaps you know the Arab Peace Initiative, you mentioned a little bit about uh, Qatar's role, and then even more broadly, Iran, and the issue of Iran, because I think this administration has a theory of the case, which is of interlinkage that these issues are, to, to a large extent, connected to each other. How do you see potential movements uh, on those fronts impacting the, the, the Israeli-Palestinian front? Well, first of all, uh, I, I think that the new uh, attitude of the United States toward uh, Syria is very important and very positive. Uh, and I believe that Israel should uh, uh, continue the, the talks. It wasn't... Uh, it it, were not, uh, it was not uh, a peace uh, process, but we started uh, 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 meetings uh, with the Syrian side, not indirectly through the Turkish, and, uh, uh, and I believe <coughs> we should find a way to continue and to change it to a peace process with Syria. And we have to understand that the Syrians doesn't want only the Golan Heights. They want the United States on the table of negotiation and relationship, renew the, uh, renew, uh, the relationship between Syria and the United States. And 
you know what, maybe for uh, Netanyahu's uh, government, it will be easier to, to proceed uh, in this uh, arena rather than the other arena, which is much more problematic. I, be I believe he should run uh, both uh, parallelly, but uh, uh, it's very important for the Israeli side to to uh, negotiate with Syria uh, on a peace uh, uh, agreement. I believe the, the price is very clear. Uh, and even I can say even the agreement is almost ready. And we have to decide whether we would like to pay the price or not personally. Uh, I think we have to pay the price. Uh, I think the Arab initiative is very important. The ignorance of uh, uh, this initiative uh, from Israel, uh, by Israel from 2002 until last year when uh, the, f uh, the first to, to, to uh, comment uh, uh, over this initiative was uh, Tipi Livni, uh, the uh, foreign affairs minister, uh, and I, I believe that Israel, with the help of the United States, have to look after ways to, to, to create a, a process with the, the Arab League concerning uh, the continuing of this, uh, this uh, 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 Arab initiative. It is very important. We are, we are talking here about uh, uh, peace uh, uh, with all the Arab world, 22 uh, countries, and most of the uh, Muslim world. Uh, it's not an agreement. You have to understand it's a, a, a general initiative uh, uh, but, uh, uh, and it depends on two, at least two bilateral agreements between Israel and the Palestinian side and Israel and the Syrian. Uh, it's a very positive initiative and uh, uh, the United States and Israel should uh, 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 think over several ways to, uh, to support this initiative. Concerning the Iranian issue, well, first of all, I'm not an expert in Iran. I'm not an expert in uh, nuclear weapon, and I'm, I'm not an expert in uh, strategic uh, operations. And as a citizen, without uh, unique uh, knowledge, I believe that uh, the Iranian threat is not a private threat for Israel. It's a world threat. It's a threat to the Western world and the United States, to, to the Arab moderate countries. And Israel should not be in the front of the uh, confrontation, not the diplomacy and not the military confrontation with uh, Iran. It uh, reminds me the coalition uh, in the first war uh, the first uh, gulf war israel didn't participate in the in the coalition because if, if israel would have participated in this coalition 
the coalition was another coalition. I believe without the Arab states that were participating in this coalition, and the same is today. Uh, 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 this is a problem for the big, not for us. And uh, maybe it's very comfortable uh, for uh, uh, the world that Israel is, is, uh, uh, is uh, leading this uh, confrontation. It's, I believe that uh, it is a mistake. It will be very prob problematic for Israel and for the Jewish world. Uh, uh, it can be. And uh, we have to, to remember that uh, we have to continue uh, 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 to live in this neighborhood uh, for a long time. And I believe that uh, the United States have to lead this confrontation and not Israel. And I'm not saying that Israel doesn't, uh, 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 can, uh, does not have to prepare herself if, if other uh, uh, efforts will be failed. And we have to prepare ourselves militarily to, to solve by ourselves but it's not the time to lead the, the, this confrontation uh, by Israel. You misled me. You told me that I will disagree with Ilan on many things. <laughs> I find myself in almost complete agreement. Um, on Iran, look, I agree. Uh, I'm not an expert on Iran. So let me give you my lay perspective on this. Uh, I think uh, Iran, by the way, Iran is not only the <coughs> nuclear issue. Iran is much more than that. And even uh, if the nuclear issue is, re is resolved, um, Iran will continue to seek uh, hegemony and domination uh, in the region, and they will play all of their pawns and all of their proxies in it. Um, however, I think there's an oversimplified uh, approach to Iran and the Arab world. Uh, sometimes we hear it in this town. My enemy's enemy is my friend. Just because uh, the Arabs and Israel have feared threatened by Iran, they become friends. No, that's not the case. My enemy's enemy is often my enemy as well uh, in, in that region. And we have to create a situation to allow this natural alliance between the Arab world and Israel over Iran. And the only way to do that is to move towards resolving the Arab-Israeli conflict. And the core, obviously, is the uh, Palestinian-Israeli one, which leads me nicely into the Arab Peace Initiative. Um, a few things on the Arab Peace Initiative. I think a major misunderstanding of the Arab Peace Initiative, and I think this is one that uh, Livni who has a way of creating crises out of nothing, uh, has helped uh, do, is that the, actually the Arab Peace Initiative is not another negotiation track. The Arab Peace Initiative, Peace Initiative is actually an offer of an additional political uh, <coughs> currency into the game. What it's saying is, if Israel and uh, the Palestinians, if Israel and the Syrians, and the Lebanese, by the way, that's the third one, which we always forget, uh, reach a peace deal, then this is what we as the Arab are willing to bring towards stabilizing this uh, game. We're creating a new incentive here. The problem with it so far is that it's been an all or nothing proposal. Reach, end the occupation, reach a deal, peace deal, and then you will get everything. You know what? All or nothing means nothing. At the end of the day, it's not an operational uh, tool. There is no real political dividend coming out of it. And what needs to be done is a quid pro quo uh, process whereby Say Israel freezes settlements, then some of the Arab countries uh, open rep offices uh, <coughs> in Tel Aviv. 
Israel's move something on this, then so there's a gradual, mutually reinforcing process where you create incentive for Israeli uh, leaders to move forward. They will say it's not only we're not only getting the Palestinians here, we're getting others. And this process, though, has to be defining this quid pro quo has to be led by the U.S. It cannot be left to the Arabs and the Israelis because I think it will uh, go uh, nowhere. But it has to be a defined roadmap towards uh, implementing the Arab Peace Initiative. There's so much mistrust between the Arabs and the Israelis right now for each of them to say that, okay, you do this move and trust the other side to, move, to uh, reciprocate. There has to be a pre-cooked uh, deal here. Um, one last thing on the Arab Peace Initiative, and that's my view. Maybe we should move. I mean, we talk about the Arab League. I don't really like the Arab League. It's a forum for lowest common denominator. Maybe we should move from that towards back to the formula of like-minded states. I'm not really sure why we need Sudan in this whole process. Why, why need uh, Yemen in this process? Let's, let's get the relevant players, and uh, let's see if we can move with them. <coughs> Syria. The word we hear here over and over again is low-hanging fruit. Oh, Syria, 90% is agreed, uh, all it needs is a little push and we're going to get there. Well, a few things. First of all, the 90% is the easy 90%. The 10% is the problem. Um, it's not such an easy hanging, low-hanging fruit after all. Then, it's not only the Golan. I think uh, Ilan was clear. For Syria, they want the Americans on the table. They want to open up to the states. And this is a big, big uh, leverage that we have in this country. But also the Syrians, I mean, from, our, from an American and other perspective, it's not only about uh, a peace deal with Israel, it's about Hezbollah, it's about Lebanon, it's about Hamas, it's about Iran, it uh, was about Iraq, could again be about Iraq. So this, it's a really complicated set of issues. All of that said, there's enough momentum here that I think the Syrian track will take primacy, at least in, this, uh, in the short uh, period, in the short uh, term. The US, I believe, has the political depth and the diplomatic depth and, and breadth to be able to manage two tracks, a Palestinian-Israeli and a Syrian-Israeli. I'm not sure this is true in Israel. Israel might have the diplomatic uh, <coughs> tools, but ultimately, politically, one of the tracks will have to be prioritized, and at the expense of, expense of the other. And we have to be aware of that and not delude ourselves. However, initially, I think the two tracks have to continue in parallel, and they can be leveraged vis-a-vis -vis one another, maybe in a positive way. Great. Thank you. Well, you two gentlemen have defined a pretty tall agenda for this new administration here in Washington, and um, it's been uh, really uh, uh, rich and thoughtful. What I want to do now is open it up um, and giving priority to our friends who are members of the, the press and the media. Uh, if, you, if you have a question, um, please uh, raise your hand, identify yourself, your organization, uh, direct your question at uh, one or both of the panelists, and, and let us know. So anybody from the media with a question? Ma'am. Thank you. I'm Viola Ginger from Bloomberg News. I wonder if what your thoughts are on what the Obama administration is prepared to offer Netanyahu if he does actually take some action on settlements or on, on some of the other key points that you mentioned. To be honest, I'm not sure they know. I mean, it's truly, I mean, Remember, those guys have only been in place for, what, uh, two months now? And we don't know uh, what Netanyahu is going to be. We don't know who he's going to be. We don't know what his coalition is going to look like. I think these are all uh, <coughs> relevant issues. But uh, there are a set of possible things that can be offered Netanyahu, uh, one being the U.S. bringing along some of the Arab countries 
to start a degree of normalization. I think that's uh, one thing. Another one which is very essential, I think, for Netanyahu, Netanyahu's mind, this is essential, the issue of Iran. Guarantees from the U.S. that Iran will not be allowed to get nuclear weapons. I think that's another tool that, uh, that the administration can uh, give to uh, Netanyahu. And I think also the reverse is possible. I think there is a degree of leverage here. Um, I don't believe in pressure. I don't believe in confrontation. However, the U.S.-Israeli relations are multifaceted. And I think an Israeli prime minister knows that if he is perceived as endangering the relations between Israel and the U.S., this has domestic political cost. And Netanyahu experienced that uh, when he was prime minister, and Shamir experienced that. I think this is a very important uh, one <coughs> to play there, to do there. Not, not, I'm not talking about endangering or in any way threatening Israel-U.S. Uh, deep uh, strategic relations. I'm talking specifically for Netanyahu being seen as a prime minister who has created tension with the relations with Israel. This would be a major, major incentive. Do you have any well, uh, I'm not sure uh, uh, the, the United States uh, have to give something for, uh, to Netanyahu uh, if he will implement its uh, uh, guidelines. Uh, this is uh, two states, uh, allies uh, uh, two states, and uh, each uh, state have to, uh, uh, to think not <coughs> over its own uh, uh, interest, but uh, the other interest. And uh, I don't think that uh, the United States have to give something uh, to Netanyahu if he will implement its uh, guidelines. And uh, I'm not uh, sure whether the United States have to put pressure on uh, Netanyahu. This is a relationship between allies. Okay. Thank you. Journalists, members of the media. Cards? Any more journalists? Okay. We're collecting your questions. Can I just add one thing I forgot about Syria? Another thing that makes Syria more complicated than we uh, think it is is the issue of the Hariri Tribunal and the desire of some of the Syrian leaders to be immune from that tribunal. That will also be a big issue. Here's a first question, maybe to Raith, but if you want to offer some um, um, views on it. Uh, what policy or rhetorical changes have there been since both the U.S. and Israeli elections among the major Arab states? Oof, um, not much. <laughs> <laughs> How is that for an answer? Um, I think, look, uh, since there has been no change in policy coming from uh, Israel or from the U.S. yet, there has, been any, has not been any response from the Arab side. But there is a change, if you wish, in atmospherics happening in the Arab world vis-a-vis -vis those two uh, developments. Obama is a superstar. Obama has not only energized the U.S., Obama has energized the rest of the Arab world. And there is amazing uh, goodwill. Uh, in the Arab world, and I think right now being pro-American is not such a dirty word <laughs> in that region. So I think that, that enabled some of the uh, American, I mean, some of the allies in the region to be more clear in their, in their support uh, with the states. On Israel, it's the exact opposite. 
even though we still have no new policy, we have a prime minister who is not willing to recognize this as solution, who, has, who comes with historic baggage. And there is tremendous, tremendous mistrust uh, of uh, Netanyahu. And there is, you hear it a lot from the Arabs nowadays when you talk to them, that uh, why should we move on the Arab Peace Initiative, etc. when we have Netanyahu. Some of this is uh, obviously genuine. People are afraid. But also some of it is uh, rhetoric. And unfortunately, the Arab world does have a tendency sometimes to be looking for alibis for failure rather than for uh, uh, reasons for success. But as of yet, we have not seen any change. And as of yet, the Arab world is really concerned and uh, consumed with its own internal dynamics. The outcome, the aftermath of the Gaza war, the alignment between the pro-Iranian and not pro-Iranian, and all of these internal issues. Uh, once we see policy coming from here and coming from Israel, we might see a different language. I want uh, uh, just to, to, to say that concerning the, the Arab attitude toward Netanyahu, uh, he's, not he's not new in the politics. He was a prime minister already. And, uh, and he can be changed. Uh, in his first uh, uh, period as prime minister, he, he, was, uh, he opposed uh, Oslo Agreement. <coughs> but during his uh, period as prime minister, he continued uh, Oslo Agreement, and he even signed on the agreement of Y Plantation and a, a Hevron agreement. So, you know, when somebody is standing without any responsibility, he can say everything. When he's sitting on the chair with all the responsibility of prime minister, with all his assistants and uh, uh, analyzers, analyzers, uh, he can uh, uh, decide reasonable decisions, and I hope it will. Uh, this uh, will be the future uh, with Netanyahu. I think you actually just answered one of the questions here, which was: in the past, right-wing hardliners have been able to bring peace and move in that yeah. direction. Begin in Egypt, Nixon China, in Israel, Gaulle, in, uh, in Algeria, Reagan pulling out of Lebanon. So you you, you see similar possibilities with yeah, Netanyahu. In Israel, we always said that only right-wing uh, government can bring peace and only left-wing uh, uh, government can go to war. <laughs> so, you want to add something here? I, I, I just want to say I completely agree. I think uh, Bibi gives opportunism a good name, a bad name, I don't know. He's, he's the ultimate uh, opportunist. I'm sure that he would have preferred to have a more centrist uh, coalition, and I'm sure that what he's doing right now is for domestic consumption. And I completely believe that it's a mistake to simply say, oh, that's Netanyahu, we have, there's no hope, we shouldn't deal with him. Test him, give him, give him the tools that if he wants to move more centrist, he will have those tools. And if he doesn't want to move uh, more to the center, at least remove the alibi from him. But he has to be tested, he has to be given an opportunity, and forget, and not, uh, forget one thing. Like him, hate him, he's a reality. He's a fact of life. This is the next Israeli prime minister. I don't think we can afford to freeze things until the Israeli politics uh, really finds itself. Great, thanks. There's a question here because you both talked about, and we talked a bit about the security forces, um, which I think is interesting. Given General Dayton's success with improving the Palestinian security forces in the West Bank and the resulting low numbers 
of attacks on Israel from the West Bank. Why has Israel failed so far to respond by removing the roadblocks and freezing settlement activity? Uh, you talked about the need to do this, but what's your analysis on why, uh, even under the, uh, the current government, the American government, there hasn't been as much movement? Well, first of all, the dramatic uh, reducing of the level of terror attack against Israel is not the result of Dayton Tin. Let's face it. It is the result, first of all, of the very successful activities, military activities, during the last nine years from the beginning of the Second Intifada. It is uh, uh, the change that uh, happened uh, in the Palestinian side, the understanding that uh, they have to go to another director and that the terror <coughs> did not succeed to, uh, to change their, uh, their life. The, the mission, the uh, Dayton mission with the Palestinian side is a success, but the success is not by preventing terror activities against Israel. Let's say that at the beginning of this mission, uh, the, uh, the anti-terror uh, struggle was not one of the goals of this mission. And it was not one of the goals of the Palestinian uh, uh, security uh, uh, units. It stays uh, Israel responsibility. And uh, uh, the, the goals of this mission was to create, first of all, internal security and to reestablish the, 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 the Palestinian system uh, in these areas. So it doesn't have almost any connection. It's not, all, it's not uh, uh, total, because nowadays they are fighting terror with success as well. And uh, uh, believe me, if the IDF and our uh, uh, intelligence says that the Palestinian side is very effective, uh, in his mission, including uh, anti-terror uh, mission, believe me, it's true. Mm -hmm. But it's not the reason uh, why uh, uh, the real terror situation in uh, the West Bank is, uh, is uh, on a low level these days. Now, concerning the roadblock and checkpoint and access and movement, you know, I can explain each roadblock and each checkpoint uh, a reason to stay there. I cannot say that they are not reasonable. I cannot say that they, ha they don't have any uh, uh, positive results concerning uh, <coughs> anti-terror activities. But these days, with the level the low level of uh, uh, terror in the West Bank, we have to consider not only security, but other issues as well. And uh, 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 the core of the uh, commander's decision nowadays is to know how to balance between all their responsibilities. And their responsibilities doesn't say only security. We have security, 
we have humanitarian issue, we have uh, uh, economic issue, we have uh, other issues, and every and the and the Israeli side should balance the situation, and according to my understanding and my experience, we can change the reality concerning the uh, access and the movement, considering the current security situation, if it will be changed another time in the future, even to my uh, understanding, we will have to change it back. But nowadays, we can take the chance. Just a couple of First of all, uh, it's important to delink security from settlement uh, freeze. Settlement expansion is not a security measure uh, intended to improve Israel's uh, security, and therefore, uh, settlement freeze should not be linked to the uh, developments on security <coughs> issues. In terms of uh, the issue of terrorism and what have you, I fully agree with uh, Ilan. Dayton's mission has been so far only law and order. And that's why I mentioned earlier that we, this has to be extended to deal with the intelligent compo intelligence component and uh, counterterrorism component of the Palestinian security sector. So far, the reform efforts have not touched this uh, segment, partly because of domestic Palestinian political issues, partly because of uh, issues coming from here, from Virginia, partly because of uh, Israeli attitude that does not want that sector to be uh, developed. Many of these issues have been removed right now. And it's important for either Dayton's mission to be expanded to include the intel side of things or to create a new mission that is transparent not what we had in the past dealing with this particular uh, <coughs> sector and then we will have uh, this but one disagreement that i would have with ilan here is as these issues develop though we have to create an irreversible uh, situation we have to create a situation where really palestinians will be given full security control over their uh, territory. Of course, if there's a complete breakdown, then Israel will come in again. But we cannot have a situation where, oh, today think that a threat is likely higher than the Israelis were going to come in. If the Palestinians continue to be disempowered in this way, there will be no way that the sector will continue to develop. One last point uh, on Israeli behavior. I think one of the biggest, biggest, I wouldn't say tragedies, but losses during the Intifada is the loss of trust between the Palestinians, or the loss of credibility that we've suffered in the Israeli security establishment. The Israeli security establishment felt betrayed by the Palestinians, and this is a very deep-seated feeling. And the security establishment in Israel is very politically influential. So, so far, you have a security establishment that felt betrayed, whose job is really security and has no particular incentive to take political moves to ease things up, coupled with a political uh, system, defense ministers who were either unwilling or not strong enough to impose their will on the security sector, so dealing with the issue of broad blocks and whatever was really left to the regional commanders and even more accurately to the sergeant on the checkpoint. And therefore, it, will, cannot, it did not change systematically. As the attitude of the security establishment in Israel changes, coupled with hopefully a more forceful approach from this uh, political uh, echelon, maybe we'll have a chance to start changing that reality. There is no disagreement. I, I, I think uh, exactly like you, we have to enlarge uh, the Dayton meet, uh, mission concerning anti-terror activities, concerning uh, 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 other uh, uh, territories, concerning uh, security, internal security, con uh, concerning uh, 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 civilian responsibilities. And uh, uh, actually, uh, I I'm working in a 
in a, a, a Israeli NGO which uh, uh, built uh, uh, an offer which uh, deals with the expansion of, uh, of uh, Dayton meet, uh, mission, <coughs> and I hope it will be implemented. Great. We have two questions which are in the same space about the economy and the Palestinian economy, and both of you have addressed it, uh, and I'm going to try to combine both of them. One says, traditionally, the Palestinians have relied on three sources of employment, uh, the public sector and the PA, access to the Israeli uh, labor markets and access to jobs uh, throughout the Middle East and the Gulf in particular. Given the PA's budget constraints and the cutting off is of, of Israeli markets uh, and the decline of opportunities in the Gulf, what options do Palestinians have and how might opportunities be created? And the, the second question, which is, which is uh, fairly close to this, is what role should Israel, uh, the Palestinians, the U.S., and the Arab world do to create jobs both in the West Bank and Gaza? Um, so it's generally, you know, and, and in tandem, if not in advance of a political solution, is, is the wrinkle on that question. So jobs, how do we do this at this uh, particular time? Um, I'm not an economic expert, otherwise I would actually make him money, not uh, working at the <laughs> but, uh, but really, I mean, there are two aspects to this. Uh, in the long term, you cannot create a sustainable economy and during the occupation. I think this is a reality that we have to accept. The Palestinians have to have full sovereignty to create a sustainable long-term uh, economic development. However, there are things that can be done on the short term in terms of job creation and what have you. Partly it would be the issue of, as the security uh, conditions continue, some of the Israeli market will have to uh, develop. But uh, in terms uh, has, has to be reopened. But there's a lot that can be done in terms of infrastructure uh, projects, in terms of uh, these, which are job-creating projects, which might not have a long-term uh, development impact, but have a long-term employment impact. This can be done, but this also requires cooperation from Israel. And one of the problems so far has been Israel's confronting uh, the entry of materials, the movement of uh, materials, etc., etc. Also, there are still markets out there if export is allowed and if internal movement is allowed. And this has to be rationalized and uh, opened up. <laughs> there was recently, uh, last year, an investment conference that was held in Bethlehem, which was successful in many ways, but it did not materialize because most of the investors believed that, you know, why should we invest when uh, I produce something in Nablus and I can't even move it uh, to Hebron to be sold or I can't move it uh, outside to be exported. So some of these issues have to be rationalized and, or, and regulated in order to allow for this to happen. Well, I, I'm not sure I have a, a good answer to this uh, question, but I, I can say two things. The first thing is, in order to increase the Palestinian economic, we have to change the uh, current situation over uh, uh, access and movement. Nothing can be changed in this arena without a dramatic change of uh, access and movement, and this is our responsibility. No one will invest in an area with, uh, that you cannot uh, know whether your truck can go from one uh, a point to another point tomorrow morning. Great. The second issue concerning uh, uh, industrial uh, parks on the green line for the Palestinians. We are dealing nowadays uh, uh, concerning three industrial parks. Unfortunately, unfortunately, 
the Palestinian side is, how to say it, at least doesn't do its best in order to, to, to push forward these uh, efforts. It involves international uh, countries, investment, uh, uh, the uh, Northern uh, Park, uh, uh, it's the German uh, involvement, the Southern Park uh, uh, involve uh, the Turkish uh, involvement. And to tell you the truth, I think that the Palestinians should do much uh, more than they are doing now in order to push forward these efforts. Mm -hmm. Great. Here's a question which is um, more longer range, but I think an important question um, uh, in the long, long run for the prospects of a two-state solution. What are the views of the Palestinians and their leaders on the right of return? Can any Palestinian leadership accept a final settlement that does not include a right of return? Uh, so we'll go first to you, and then I'd like to hear your, your views on it from the Israeli perspective. Um, okay, I, I don't speak for the Palestinian leadership, and I can't really uh, say what they're thinking. I can tell you what I'm thinking. Uh, and actually, you can look it up when you look at the Geneva Initiative. It's an informal uh, peace deal that some leading Palestinians and Israelis did, and I was part of the negotiation effort for that. I think, ultimately, the issue has two dimensions. There's the logistics, what really happens, and there's the symbolic. What do you call what really happens? What really happens, the logistics, it's, it's pretty clear. The solution to the Palestinian refugee issue has two components. <clears throat> Most of the Palestinian refugees, the vast, overwhelming, biggest major number will not go to Israel, will not go to their historic homes, will go to the state of Palestine, stay the way, or stay where they are, or go to uh, third countries. I think this is very clear. Otherwise, Israel will not sign a deal. Israel's interest is remaining, as you said, a Jewish state and a democracy, and you cannot have that with a full return. And of course, there will have to be compensation for the refugees as part of the uh, package. That's the easy bit. That's the logistics. And I think this is an understanding among everyone that this is the way it's going to look. The question is, what do you, gonna, what do you want to call this uh, arrangement? Personally, I, my choice is not to even deal with the terminology right of return. Don't ask for it to be given up, but also don't ask for it uh, to be included. Leave it out there. For those who want to claim it, they can claim it, but ultimately, we have a clear operational uh, aspect. Um, however, this is an important, nevertheless, an important uh, symbolic issue that even not mentioning it will come at a political cost for any Palestinian leadership that will sign an agreement. So if it's going to be excluded from the agreement as terminology, the Palestinians would definitely need symbolic gains elsewhere that can offset this uh, <coughs> this concession. And I think, to be honest, here we can have a very good trade-off between uh, the right of return as a word and the issue of who has sovereignty over the Temple Mount, which is another instance where we have clarity on logistics. Palestinians will continue the, controlling the Aqsa Mosque, and Israelis will continue controlling the Wailing Wall. The question here is, uh, what do you call that arrangement? So we have two symbolic issues that can be traded off. But I think, ultimately, uh, this is one of these issues that have no rational response. This is one of the issues that have to be left to the very last minutes of the negotiations when the leaders come in, assess the package they have, and see how much symbolically they can give up and how much symboli symbolically they can keep. Great. Well, you know, we, I, I believe that the, uh, the, the, uh, the general uh, lines, guidelines of uh, 
of agreement between Israel and the Palestinian state is very clear. You have mainly three components. Israel will withdraw uh, to the Green Line. Jerusalem will be separate again with uh, 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 unique uh, agreement concerning the Holy Basin in Jerusalem and no right of return to, to Israel. Right of return would be only to the Palestinian state. I'm not talking about symbolic. I'm talking about uh, 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 fact. Maybe symbolically, personally, someone, several uh, 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 will be able to, to, to come back to the state of Israel. But I'm not talking about symbolically. I'm talking on general right of return won't be to Israel, uh, but to the Palestinian state. Uh, and the question is not, can we find another agreement? The question is whether or when will the two nations be able to pay the price? And how many, uh, how, how many blood will be thrown on the uh, ground until then? Concerning uh, uh, the right of return, uh, as I said, I don't think a uh, uh, right of return will be to Israel. And you know what? Even according to the uh, Arab initiative, they say exactly the same. Mm. When they say uh, Arab, uh, uh, the right of return to Israel will be a, a common decision a consent, uh, a con uh, only uh, if it will be a consensus between the, between the sides. And it says it will be symbolically. Great. Well, thank you. And that's going to have to be uh, the last word this morning. Uh, three things. First, I want to thank, again, Americans for Peace Now and the American Task Force on Palestine uh, for co-sponsoring this. We hope this will be the first of many events in this important space. Second, sign up for our Middle East Bulletin at uh, MiddleEastProgress.org. And third, last but not least, most importantly, thank you to our speakers for sharing their wisdom and experience with us. So thanks. thanks.